You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. When I'm not helping companies further their DevOps goals, I make videos on the internet. I think over 500 at this point. You can find out all about this podcast, the show notes, and my courses and videos at brettfisher.com. This podcast is now supported by my Patreon page that I just launched this year. If you want to see more episodes like this, more videos, and all that container DevOps goodness, then please check out all my weekly updates on patreon.com slash Brett Fisher. All right, I'm recording this on March 23rd, 2020. And obviously right now, everyone's headlines and news and inbox are all full of COVID-19 announcements and updates. So we're not going to talk about that too much in this podcast. I wanted to give you a break from all that. I myself have been consumed with the news this week and this month, and I have a feeling that things aren't going to change back to normal for a while. So I, I do need my own breaks, right? I need to play some games, watch some TV shows, and listen to some podcasts that just remind me that tech is still doing stuff. There's still cool stuff out there to check out. So that's what we're going to do this show. In fact, this show was recorded as a YouTube Live last week about Docker Swarm in 2020 and all the things that have been happening over the last four months and what we can expect here in the near future for the rest of this year out of the Docker Swarm team, which is now with Morantis. But we'll get so much more into that in the details of the show. I had to have this show from last week jump to the head of the list because I was just that excited about Docker Swarm's upcoming features. As a reminder, if you didn't hear last week's show already, there's a couple of upcoming things that I want you to know about that are time sensitive. So today is the 23rd, Monday. This Thursday, the 26th, the Docker birthday live show will be on YouTube, and I'll be the lucky host of that. For three hours, I'm going to have a bunch of Docker people in charge, Docker engineers, Docker captains, all the people for three hours are going to be rotating out guests to talk about all the new stuff they're working on, how you can use the latest features, and other stuff like cool stories of how people are using Docker. So you definitely want to check that out. That's at docker.com slash birthday. And we may be doing some prizes, so you definitely want to show up for that live event and be in the chat so you can get some of the cool swag. I also mentioned in several places in the last week, Docker has announced DockerCon, which will be late May. It's going to be a virtual event like everything else now, but Docker actually was planning that all along for this year. So perfect timing for them. And I'm lucky enough to be running one of the streams this year. So I'm going to be involved. You're going to see me and all of my friends that have been on this show. We're going to be a part of it. And it's going to be a real fun live event. There's going to be so much content. And if you want to help with that by making content, the call for papers, the CFP is open right now for just a little while longer here at the end of March. So get your ideas in. You can just go to DockerCon.com and find out all the details about the CFP. And I know the team is excited to hear your ideas for what content you might want to make for this online event. All right, so let's get into the show. I have, as a guest on this show, Brandon Mitchell, who is a Docker captain and a senior solutions architect at Boxboat Technologies. Boxboat is a Docker partner as well as a crew of Docker and Kubernetes experts that can really help you with your cluster and container needs. So you want to check them out. And Brandon's been there a while, but we've known each other for years in the Docker Captain program. And he is kind of the king of Stack Overflow Docker help. So if you've ever asked a question or looked for an answer on Stack Overflow, he's one of the top three for the Docker tag. So chances are 
you have been helped by him and you didn't even know it. So he's a big fan of Swarm and both of us have been using it since the beginning. So I thought it would be great to have him on the show to talk about the past, present, and future of Swarm here in 2020. As a reminder, everything mentioned in this show should be linked in the show notes, which are inside your podcast player as well as on my site. Now on with the show. Brandon and I have both been Swarm fans since the beginning, and we're talking about SwarmKit, the Swarm feature set that's built into Docker right now. Uh, interestingly enough, on the call today, or on the uh, captain's chat today, we were talking about the Classic Swarm, which is what we all call it. This is not related to Classic Swarm. So if you ever went to github.com slash docker slash swarm, that is Classic Swarm. That is a separate product that was outside of the Docker built-in functionality that you could use way back in the day before 2016 when Docker uh, SwarmKit was announced. And unfortunately, people today still, when they're checking out Docker and want to look into Swarm, I don't blame them because this URL is very misleading. Uh, they think of this, and, and naming is hard, and unfortunately, both products are called Swarm. But what you really want is Docker SwarmKit. And SwarmKit is what we're talking about today. This is the features that we've had built into Docker that I have, a co have multiple courses on. I know tons and tons of people. Every time I go somewhere to a conference and workshop or wherever, people always come up to me and ask me questions about Swarm because, quite frankly, Kubernetes steals all the oxygen out of the internet. So people that, people that want to know about Swarm stuff, they don't find a lot of huge communities like Kubernetes has. And that's a real shame because I think a lot of people really enjoy using it. We just don't have like one place that you can go to for all of the latest Swarm information. So let's clear some of that up. Yeah, um, and it's SwarmKit is the project in the repo. Yeah. And then inside the Docker engine, we call it Swarm mode. So anytime that you don't see that and you see someone saying Docker container run to start your Swarm up, you've got a containerized version of Swarm. And so you know you're talking the classic Swarm. So that's the important thing people need to keep track of. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you're new to Docker, you're probably not even aware of that old Swarm thing. But every once in a while, I still see a thing. So we're we were actually discussing today with the captains and the, and the Docker engineers about the old classic Swarm, how to how to sunset it, and how to how to indicate that it's not related, not related, not related mm -hmm. product. By the way, we do have a question in chat: Is DockerCon Live going to be free? As far as I know, yes, it will be a free virtual event. Let's see. The so let's back up a second and say okay in November even let's even go farther back than that let's go back to DockerCon 2019 and I'm going to just show a picture that I found so this is one half the room of a a room dedicated to the Swarm Kit uh, sort of open source like summit I think is what we call it like Swarm Kit open source summit. And two Docker staff were there running the show, talking about the things they were working on and what the plans were for Swarm going forward. But I found it was very interesting because the room was at least half full. Now, this was going on at the same time that the, I think there was a Kubernetes summit. There was a couple of other big things at DockerCon at that moment. So you know that the people in this room, and this is like one half the room, were all you know fans of Swarm, wanted to figure out how to use Swarm. And or, you know, to continue to use Swarm, wanted to support Swarm because we weren't seeing a lot of action out of the Docker teams because most of the engineers there were all focused on Kubernetes, just simply because they were trying to play a little bit of catch up on the, on the functionality around Docker and Kubernetes. And so SwarmKit didn't have a huge team. In fact, at the time last summer, Drew was the only engineer making uh, that was internal to Docker getting paid to put features into Swarm. Obviously, there's always the open source contributions, but he was the one actively working on features. And he, at the time, 
He was working on a feature that Brandon's going to get to in a minute. But then they announced that Docker was selling off a bunch of its stuff to Mirantis. And we did a show at that time about the split. And a lot of the conversation of that YouTube show, which you can find on this channel, was about the, you know, what products are going to go to Mirantis and what are going to stay with Docker. And, and now when we look back on that, we know that it was, you know, SwarmKit is open source. The Docker engine is open source. All that stayed with Docker. Docker, uh, the Docker people at Mirantis, however, use Docker, are selling and, and are supporting Docker Enterprise, which has Swarm built in. It's a, it's a key piece of functionality in the Docker Enterprise platform. So uh, when they first announced this, I think there was a Swarm statement in November that said, basically, we know Swarm is important to our customers. They pay for it. So we're going to support it. We're going to support it for at least two years. So we all, we all, I took that as a positive sign because it was at least a statement of commitment. Like they were going to go, I mean, you know, there's a lot of open source products that have no support by a paid company, right? So I felt like this was a good thing. But a lot of the community talked about that, okay, well, this is going to be gone in two years, so I need to leave now. I, I didn't necessarily see it that way, but I was on the fence, right? I think maybe like you, Brandon, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, what were you I thinking saw a lot of the community and you've, you've harassed me for my company throughout the blog of, you know, is Swarm dead right away? And, you know, we saw that from a lot of questions coming in of people saying what's going to happen, you know. If we've adopted Swarm now, we need to start a transition because for a lot of companies, that takes them at least a year, maybe two to make it happen. And so we we did see a lot of the questions coming up because of that. And so I think the clarification we got recently made this uh, much better news and kind of goes to your point of maybe this is better news than we originally thought. Yeah. So there was pessimistic sides of this. There was the, you know, the, the, the hopefuls that we were like, well, maybe, you know, something. And fast forward, something in, actually it was January, Drew, who at this point, now Drew would, you know, at some point, I just, you know, I need to have him on the show, but yeah, Drew, we're gonna get you on the show at some point. The, the work that he was doing at Docker on a new feature for Docker Swarms called Swarm Jobs was merged into Moby Moby. And if you don't know Moby Moby, that is the open source upstream repo that the Docker engine is based on. So when something gets merged as code into Moby Moby, we can eventually maybe even within one release of Docker, hope that the Docker engine then gets it as official thing, right? So you have like SwarmKit and all these other repos up here, and then those kind of get merged into Moby, and then Moby eventually will be output into the Docker engine repo, which will be released as a, an official stamped version binary from Docker known as the Docker engine community edition. So when you see something like this, a, a merge into Moby Moby, that's a very good sign. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, I was looking forward to the jobs coming in there because I've seen a lot of customers saying we've got some some batch operations we want to run, maybe a cleanup operation, something like that. And everything else from Swarm has always been submitted. It's going to be a service. If that thing exits, Swarm's going to keep restarting it. And so we had some things. I think I remember you putting a cleanup job out there a while back, and you put a sleep for 360, you know, or 3,600 seconds right. in the middle of your while loop. So it would just only run it once a day, but as a service. And so you kind of did your little homegrown uh, cron job throwing in a swarm. This yep. kind of makes that a little bit more official that we can actually say this is going to be a job that we're going to have within swarm. It's going to run it. It's going to finish it. And then you can maybe potentially rerun it later on, do something with it, clean it up, look at the logs. But it'll be a first-class citizen now. Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't know yet whether it's going to be in the next Docker release, which we don't actually know yet when that's going to be. We presume this year. And... We hope this, I think the CLI support is still lacking. So we still are waiting on some other PRs, right? I don't have an update on that one, but. 
Yeah, because the Moby is only one half of this. The whole Doctor Command line is a whole separate repo. Oh yeah, here we go. So yeah, so if you're if you're someone who's not following these open source repos, usually when there's a new feature in Docker, there's the engine, the daemon side of this, which is over here in the Moby Moby, and then there's the command line interface if that's necessary. If you and with something like this, you would definitely need some sort of command line to, you know, create and control the jobs. And so that PR is still open, and they're debating that. Also, we we will tell you that this is. This originally was jobs and cron support, but for the sake of time and to reduce the complexity, they made they turned the PR into just the jobs. So this is really for the one-time things, not the reoccurring things that you need on an ongoing basis. You would still need to wrap that with something like my, you know, my example that we can show in a little bit around just uh, a batch a shell loop, essentially. Mm -hmm. We've seen this a lot from Docker. They'll come out with a feature, but they'll come out at the lowest level. They'll come out with just the service in Swarm mode, and then later on they'll add the stack on top, or they'll come out with some feature in Compose, adding a few extra features to the Compose file, and then you'd see it ripple through the different parts of the Docker project. And so this kind of comes as the first step. You need this little fundamental base within the Docker product, and then hopefully later on we might see some actual cron jobs in there. Yeah, and some people might even, if they've been trying to find workarounds for the lack of this feature for a while, they might even think, well, Technically, you could kind of do this with a service if you set it to don't restart. But there are some side effects of that where, I'm trying to remember, if you restart nodes or there's there's certain cases where it will then actually run those again anyway. And I think it's a node restart or a daemon restart. I'm trying to remember. Or maybe an update. If you do an update of that service, it'll rerun it. Yeah. So it's it wasn't a foolproof method for a job. And so I feel like this is definitely a, a much better thing. And yeah, and adding cron support to this will probably be less work now because the, the basics of this stuff are all here. And cron is just maybe hopefully going to build on that and add, you know, the time values. I know in the original spec, they were trying to keep compatibility with the cron uh, nomenclature or the the formatting for how you specify days, hours, that sort of thing, so that people who speak cron can uh, just use this very easily. And yeah, people, so we can hope. with sudo in the beginning of the username. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, all right. So that's so that happened in January. So let's remember the plot here. So the plot is, you know, DockerCon. There's lots of people that want to want to hear about Swarm support. People have there's pros and cons. Obviously, everyone wants more features in Swarm, but we didn't have them yet. People are asking about third-party tools, and other people were giving solutions for using third-party tools, storage, and uh, proxies, and all that stuff. And it was a great time there. Then Docker splits, so and now we're a little nervous. Then this happens, and we're like, oh, hey, look. And, and then we and then the first thought I had was, okay, did Drew do this on his own time, or was this Mirantis's plan. And I did get confirmation from him that this is Mirantis's plan. And then a month later, we get this excellent blog post from Mirantis giving us a very clear understanding of their intention for Swarm. And without reading this whole thing, to that end, Mirantis will be continuing to invest in active Swarm development. Recently, Mirantis developed Swarm Jobs, a new service mode enabling run and done workloads on the cl Swarm cluster. In addition, Mirantis is very excited to announce a commitment to the development of cluster volume support with the CSI plugins. We'll talk about that in a minute. And originally it was discussed at DockerCon 2019 in the aforementioned you know, image I showed you. And then they received positive feedback from the community. And by leveraging the CSI interface, Swarm will be able to use the growing CSI ecosystem to handle distributed persistent volumes. And they're planning on sharing their roadmap as part of the 2020 roadmap at KubeCon EU, which got postponed. So <laughs> we haven't seen any, we, you know, technically we still would have two more weeks. Hopefully they'll put up a blog post in two weeks and say, hey, we didn't have KubeCon, but here's some more details. So this is awesome. This basically tells us, boom. At, okay, not only is now Mirantis saying, 
We're definitely going to give at least two years of support. My speculation here is that they went and spent four months talking to their customers who are at least 700 of them paying for Docker Enterprise. And those customers all, you know, vast majority of those over the, even just last year, I heard from Docker that 80 to 90% of their customers use Swarm in some fashion, in some way. And it doesn't mean they're not using Kubernetes. It just means they are definitely using Swarm somewhere. That Marantis got feedback from them that said, hey, don't get rid of Swarm. It has its own uses. And so, you know, money talks, right? <laughs> yep. People are going to pay for something. Someone will figure out a way to, to build it. Yeah, we heard a lot from Docker saying that Swarm was one of the, the big users on the UCP side, on the enterprise side. So you hear so much from the Kubernetes ecosystem out there, and it's it's interesting to hear that there are a lot of those Swarm users that are still there. They're just not as public, not as vocal. Yeah. Yeah. If you follow, if you're, if you're at all into OpenFAS or Alex Ellis's stuff, let's see. And while you're pulling that up, I saw one comment that mentioned... For the cron jobs, people were also using container health checks as a poor man's cron job, which I thought that was an interesting idea. Yeah, there and honestly, if you're interested in the cron and job stuff, there are tons of GitHub repos. There's at least a couple that are still being maintained that add on extra function, add this functionality on is just a separate container running that does things against the Docker Swarm API in a cron job like way. So. Yeah. I think one of those I remember seeing that it would restart some of your services that had that setting in there to only run once. And so you spin it up, you have the service immediately stop, and then their little cron job in there running as another container would see the labels on that one and dynamically restart it. So a bunch of interesting solutions out there if you really need this functionality today. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find Alex's tweet. Um, maybe if I have to add him. I, I suck at Twitter search. Okay, yeah, here it is. Forgot to retweeted it. Um, all right, so he sent out a survey. Oh, oh, he put out a blog post and a and a Twitter survey. So he put out a blog post talking about you know giving more details, and we've seen this a lot of people talking about this, right? Blog posting over the years about. How do I decide Swarm or Kubernetes? There's so many different opinions on that. I don't even want to get into that in this show. I mean, we can, but like that would be its own show. And we've definitely had lots of shows where we talk about that on this on this live show. But he had a Twitter uh, survey where he said, are you using Swarm in production because Kubernetes is too hard or complex? And he got 670 votes and 24% of those people said yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that Alex has a certain uh, audience, just like I do, that is a larger percentage of the Swarm people because he provides solutions that work on Kubernetes and Swarm when it, with a lot of his open source tool, tooling. So 24% of that community said, yes, they use Swarm in production because it's more because Kubernetes is too complex for what they need. It doesn't mean that Kubernetes is too complex for everyone. It just means in their use case, maybe they just need one server, maybe they just need some simple containers. My website and a lot of the stuff I use online, bots and different little things. They all run in Swarm just because it's a little bit easier to maintain. And so he has a great blog article. I will put all of this in the comments. And yeah, so so now I think you're kind of caught up. So the what we know since then is we haven't seen any movement, but there is a desire from Morantis to grow the, the Swarm team and grow the, the number of features they're adding. I think storage is definitely the next big thing for them because 
the the one tool out there that a lot of us have been using for years. Your favorite? Actually, I don't even think Rexray IO works anymore. Rexray was this open source tool originally created by Dell, then taken over by VMware that basically allows a bunch of plugins that, that are specific to the storage provider you have. So you go to a cloud provider, you get their storage, like DigitalOcean uh, block storage or AWS's EBS or something, and then you tell Swarm to use that block storage for any persistent volumes you might need. And then what Rexray's job is, is to dynamically map those container mounts or those storage mounts to the node and then the container that they need to be in. So if your database today is on node one, then it would connect that volume to node one. And then if that container gets moved for either an update or some sort of failure, it moves to another node, then it's Rexray's job to disconnect, dismount, right, on node one, then move it over to node whatever, and then remount it. So that's essentially, it was just an orchestrator for storage. And unfortunately, the I think the companies just stopped paying people to support it in terms of their time. So they didn't have the time to work on it anymore. And so the project has kind of died on the vine. It, I don't think it's had, I think it's been at least 10 months since a commit. And so it's slow, it still kind of works in a lot of ways, but the bugs are starting to creep in as we get, I don't know, what do you call it? Rot? Not sure the word. Yeah. Open source rot? I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. See these things go, go a little stagnant, go a little stale after a while. And... It was one of those things I always shied away from, maybe not for good reasons, but I'd been spending too much time in the Jenkins ecosystem where plugins, you would start getting collisions in plugins, kind of like you have DLL hell in, you know, dealing with Microsoft, you would get conflicting versions of plugins in Jenkins where you couldn't upgrade your Jenkins version because the plugin didn't support whatever you're doing. So I always got a little paranoid of that when dealing with something like a volume plugin with Docker. And so seeing some of the stuff that they're talking about right now, I don't know if you're ready to jump into this one, but seeing some of this stuff now where they're saying, you know, we're going to look at supporting the CSI drivers out there. That's getting me really inter interested because you see some of these solutions that people like Dell are supporting right now as a CSI driver, having that just work within Docker Swarm mode. That's interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Kubernetes workloads where it all it needs is some basic storage and it doesn't need replicated storage. It just needs cloud, you know, persistent storage that's usually off server. And then maybe it needs some sort of, you know, they need a, pro a web proxy, some, some ingress sort of functionality. So traditionally what I would, like in all my Swarm courses and stuff, and when I talk about Swarm in the past, it would always be like Rexray for storage and then traffic for, let's see, traffic for your proxy. And traffic still works with Docker, still works with Swarm, even in its latest version, in version two, they still support it. And so it's easy enough to use that it technically doesn't even need Swarm to support an official ingress because it really just works out of the box where Kubernetes has its own built-in ingress feature. Swarm doesn't have that, but didn't really need it because traffic worked so, so well. And there's other, there's Nginx plugins and stuff like that that you can definitely use. I find traffic to be the most feature rich. And I actually have a, a repo, dogs versus cats, which if you've been around long enough with me, you, you know this repo. And I meant to get it, the pull request finished today, but one, someone from the community submitted the upgrade path so that if you're following traffic or if you know anything about traffic, traffic proxy, earlier last year, they, they went from version one to version two and there was breaking changes. So you couldn't just update the version two and it worked. You needed to change some things. So 
Someone from the community brought in a pull request and it says everything's working now on version two, which is great because version two has a better dashboard for traffic. Uh, more, It has a bunch of middleware functionality that's really neat. And so I haven't tested this yet. If any of you want to test that, I'd love to hear some feedback in the PR on whether that pull request works. That would definitely save me some time and allow me to pull that into the repo. If you don't know about this repo, it's one of the other one of the places online where you can get a bunch of examples of how to run simple workloads, you know, websites, databases, you know, tiered solutions, all that stuff in Swarm. And there also comes with a DockerCon talk that I did on how to do all of that, how to add all those tools together. One of the other ones, by the way, is Swarm. Is it like Swarm.rocks? Oh, I know the one you're talking about. No. Or is it swarmrocks.io? Docker swarm.rocks. So this is a really good one too. And, and in some ways it's a better, it's a better than mine because there's more complete solutions there. And that will help you in case you're interested in swarm. Because once you learn the functionality of swarm, and tell me if I'm if this was your experience too, you the next thing you think is like, okay, how do I run my databases on it? How do I do my storage? And then the next thing after that is how do I how do I get a proxy for all my websites? I need to run ten websites. How do I do all of those things on for the same four four three? Yep, I run into those. And then the next one I actually run into now and then is how do you manage those secrets and configs? Because yeah. that from Docker when you when you use the functionality Docker gives you for that one, they're immutable, and so you can't change them. So I've seen a handful of different solutions out there to try to push those. But yeah, a handful of problems like that that I feel like everybody just kind of walks down that same path of just different issues like that. Yeah. And while we're talking about configs and secrets, this is an excellent segue. Um, Sune Keller, another Docker captain, had a talk at DockerCon about using a secrets plugin in Swarm. Uh, specifically, I think this is for Vault. So if you're interested at all, so if you didn't know, Swarm and Kubernetes both have the ability to store encrypted secrets like your API keys, your passwords, all that stuff in the, the database of the cluster itself. But you might already have those or want to keep those outside of your Swarm or your cluster. Usually it's because you have many clusters and you don't want to have to keep repeating these keys or moving them, you know, copying them around. Or maybe you already have existing infrastructure that is not all containerized and you want one true, you know, the one ring to rule them all, right? So this talk from DockerCon last year can give you some clues around how you might do that with Vault and Swarm. Um, that's one of our yeah. challenges with Swarm I'm, is these, there's a limited number of these plugins for Swarm right now. So, Yeah, and I've, I haven't used his. I've used Vault in general. I went back to an old Kelsey Hightower repo out there. There's a, um, I think it's config D or conf D where it goes out into a query vault or SED or some of these other repos out there. And so I use that as one of my entry points inside of a container that just would go out and pull that secret in. And the client I had done that for was just using as a really simple key value store. And they realized after a while that it was just too much effort. And so they said, what would it take just to switch this back to just Docker secrets out of the box? Yeah. And so made that transition for them. And there are a few little growing pains out there. I've got a little repo out there that does a Docker Conf update. I think I sent you a link there if you want to pull that one up, Brett. And the Docker Conf update just goes out and looks at your current secrets and configs and looks at what the current value should be with whatever you've injected it and will update your deployment with some variables. And so you can change that around if you need to. So, man, I threw you on the spot when you weren't ready for it. Where'd you put that link? It should be in the 
in the drive doc that you sent me earlier. Oh, right, drive doc. Okay. I was like, in yeah. Slack, in Skype, <laughs> and in YouTube we, chat. We got a lot of things uh, going on all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But one of my little GitHub projects oh, that yeah. I run into, and there there are a few people that have done different versions of this. There's I've seen a version before where it's they would hash the configure secret, and that hash was the end of the string that you would put on there to yeah. version it. And mine, I'd actually just put that inside of a label inside of the secret. The the secret itself is hashed into a label, and so that way I can compare the current secret to the oh. past secret, and I can see if you're reusing it or not. Yeah, that's slick. I like that. So different people have found different solutions to this, but this was just my way of getting around some of that immutability, because that's one of the first things people come up to is they're like, well, my password changes. How do I handle a password change? Now i got to redo all these things, and I say, well, if you go to this path, you can just inject that version number of your secret as a variable into your deployment, and it's just managed for you. Yeah, that's actually probably worth its own uh, tutorial video because I think f people don't realize they're going to have this problem until they have it, right? And then they're like, mm -hmm. okay, crap, now I don't know. <laughs> and usually you hit this yeah. problem before production. If you're testing any of this stuff at all, eventually you're going to have to change something and then you realize, oh, I don't know the right workflow for making this easy and not lame, <laughs> yeah. not, not uh, human intensive. So yeah. What about this other one here, the uh, Docker stack weight? Yeah, so I... Kind of going to your original idea of everybody runs these same problems of how do you handle the persistent storage? How do you handle the ingress? How do you handle the configs and secrets? The last one here, the stack weight, is how do you handle the CI deployments? And so you go through and you're, you say a Docker stack deploy in your CI pipeline, and that's typically an asynchronous operation. You just say deploy it, and it's done, and it gives you a return. But during that process, now it's going through and doing that reconciliation where you've got the current state and the target state, and they're different. And so Docker's rolling your services and getting getting everything updated, but it's already returned. It doesn't tell you that it's done yet. And so this is actually something you can throw in your CI pipeline and just say, hold up, don't continue the CI pipeline anymore until this finishes. And so it also checks, lets you know whether or not either you're timed out, took too long, or if it passed, or if it failed. And so you can get that in your CI pipeline. Yeah. That's really nice because, I mean, we're still waiting on the stack functionality to be based API-based instead of CLI-based. and Mm -hmm. That's. I wish that. I kind of. I feel like that could would be easier than the CSI stuff. I kind of wish that they would just sneak sneak that one in there as a next feature. Yeah. Because we've got a lot of cool things. Like a lot of you, have, you know, know about Portainer. Portainer is a great web GUI for Swarm. It, it provide and it provides multi swarm cluster support. It has user management. It has tons of stuff in it. They keep adding more features. It's got agent support, so we can even support running monitoring and tracking uh, swarm machines and non-swarm machines all in the same interface. One of the things it can do, though, is it lets you create webhooks so that you can set up you know, automation where if you have a GitHub or a Docker Hub commit, it will redeploy a service. It won't, however, redeploy a stack, which I always prefer stacks. Um, and one mm -hmm. of the reasons it doesn't do that is because there is no Docker API for that yet. The, all the stack functionality that uses YAML is technically it's CLI automation wrapped around the services, configs, and networks, and all those individual APIs. But the, the logic of it is all in the in the command line. And I'm I'm guessing that the Portainer team doesn't want to like create a feature that is technically execing into something on the server and then running a Docker cut command line tool. Like that could technically work, but it would be a little it'd probably be hokey. Yeah, and too, I've too seen hokey. people put the request in there to replace the little, to give you a dash dash detach option in the Docker stack commands. Yeah. And Docker's kind of pushed back saying, we want to make this a first class citizen first, it sounds like. So that's yeah 
that's going to be interesting. I did see one question there from Anton that might want to look at there, which was, is there any kind of limitation on the maximum number of nodes in SwarmKit? Ooh. And yeah, that, that one kind of goes to my little comment when people start asking this question of when do you decide between Kubernetes and Swarm mode? And it's, I think Docker's come back and said they've done, what, thousands of nodes out there. They did a test a long time ago where you can throw, you know, number of nodes is not their limitation. The The only reason I ever see when you're you know, picking this, it's not scalability, it's not functionality like that. It's usually just configurability or something like that that you need. Yeah, there is a Docker document on this. Yeah. Scaling your cluster, maybe. Maybe it's in here. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, on sizing, technically there is no hard limit. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing, the reality is, is that when you start talking about all the real limits, like your cluster shouldn't really go beyond a region, which means that ideally your nodes are no farther apart than 10 milliseconds. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't have one cluster that spans the globe. That's, that technically would work, but that would be a horrible experience and you would have really slow, every, every decision that the cluster made would be slow based on all those long round trip calls. But Docker does have, if you just kind of search around the success site, success.docker.com, you will find a lot of best practices around sizing. Now, granted, this is for their enterprise product, but a lot of those things are related to how Docker and Swarm work. And generally what we see in production, tell me if uh, you see the same thing, where I always encourage, once you get to like 10 nodes or so, I encourage teams to just scale up their hardware instead of, instead of scale out. Because usually the performance, scaling out versus scaling up, the performance, we, we think of this as linear. Like if you look at AWS's pricing, you know, the, the twice the hardware is exactly twice the, the, the number. So you think that, that this is arbitrary, but not really. Like 10 nodes that have 10 gigabit networking and, you know, eight CPUs that are able to run hundreds, if not thousands of containers, those, 10 of those in the same data center, I think will run a lot better then a hundred nodes that all have one gigabit networking or less because AWS networking can really be poor if you get cheap instances. And so I always prefer for teams at some point when they get to 10 to 20 nodes, somewhere around that time, that scale, they've got three managers, maybe five managers. If you're trying to be really solid uptime production, five managers that are dedicated. And then the rest of your nodes, you're scaling those uh, to a certain point And you have this metric in your head of like, I really only want to manage like 10 to 20 servers, let's say. So once you get to like around 15 servers, you start to change the nodes uh, performance that you're using. So maybe you you change from like, you know, an M3 to a, or M1 to an M3 or whatever. Like, and you you then scale back down. So now you only have like 10 nodes, but those, t those 10 nodes are tw twice as powerful and you're going to get way better networking, way better performance out of those nodes. What do you think? That's what I tell yeah, people. Yeah, I tend to see that from the concept of how much time do you want to spend managing the cluster. If you have a thousand, hundred machines out there to manage, that's a hundred different data points you need to look at whenever you're doing any kind of hardware upgrades. If you're, you know, bumping up the base OS or something like that, that's just that many more machines to look at. And so you're, you're making your management overheads, you know, a lot simpler if you can keep that to around 20 machines or so. Yeah. Like you say, not a hard limit though. It's, that's not where the scalability concerns come in or anything right. like that, you know. Yes. Yeah. I, I think any, if anything, the two things that I see that people have with performance is that they're on small nodes and the net and the networking on cloud small nodes sucks. Like it really sucks. And the mm -hmm. one thing about these clusters and Kubernetes is not immune either, is that they really like fast networking. They want it for reliability and all these little gossip protocols and things. 
In addition, if you're using Swarm with the built-in default overlay networking, that overlay networking does, it wraps packets. So, and that's the, and it's not Docker's fault. This is actually how all overlay protocols work in the Linux kernel. So there's a little bit of CPU overhead and there's definitely some packet overhead on, you know, on the network, depending on what you're doing. It could be anywhere between five, 10, and maybe even up to 30% of a hit if you're doing certain types of things. If you overcompensate and you, instead of having 30 nodes that are getting one gigabit and you just have 10 nodes on 10 gigabit, you've solved a lot of that problem. <laughs> just by going to 10 gigabit NICs, yeah. you're really, you know, in my mind, if I have a performance problem and I can throw hardware at it to solve that performance problem, I'm always going to prefer that over, you know, trying to redesign or re-architect my whole freaking thing. If I can simply have as half as many, has half as many servers that are twice as performant, I totally would do that every day of the week. Yep. You and me both. And especially when you get into hardware refreshes, people want to upgrade the nodes. You know, the fewer nodes you have to do, the better. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate thing about Swarm is we don't have clouds. We used to have clouds that would build out these farms or these clusters for you. We don't have that right now. One of the reasons is, well, popularity, obviously. Like, you know, for every Swarm user, there's probably um, 10, you know, or, or more Kubernetes users out there. And Swarm is so easy to set up and manage that there's not a lot of value add for the the cloud providers to give you because Kubernetes, one of the biggest challenges is uh, is, is building it securely, building the infrastructure, managing the control plane securely, upgrading this control plane securely, which I mean, securely or even just instability, upgrading them is still a challenge, even when they automate it for you. And uh, Swarm, in my experience, I have never had a Swarm upgrade fail. Like after four years of yeah. running production clusters, as long as we tested and we did proper planning, upgrading one node at a time or just replacing the node, ideally, one node at a time and, and keeping it in a nice slow roll, I've never had to roll that any of those back, which is a pretty... Only, have you? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the only failure I've ever had is when I started mixing versions. And so they did one of these swap outs, so they replaced the manager version at the same time they were swapping out node hardware at the same time. And there is a gotcha in there with Swarm mode where if you try to do a join or a leave of the Swarm cluster with mixed versions on the managers, they don't like that. So that's the only time I've ever had an issue. And so I've since then gone through and had some Terraform and Ansible rules that I've written. And some of the stuff I'm still working on getting that polished, cleaned, and ready for open source. But just to go through and have a one, one command line run to go through and deploy an entire Swarm cluster. And also to upgrade it properly, like you're saying, one node at a time to make it go through seamless. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. Like that, no problem. As long, I mean, if you only have, you know, 10 and 20 node clusters, you know, you can write a simple script that does this. But unless you're really confident in it, uh, for a lot of people, I'm just like manually, especially with the, ma the, the, the managers, just manually do it. Because you, you can update, like if you only have three managers, Sometimes I tell people, just add two more managers temporarily so that you have this higher level of redundancy. Wait for it to stabilize, which in most forms isn't very long. It's minutes, if, 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 mm -hmm. if that. You know, it's pretty fine. And then upgrade one at a time. And then once it's all settled, take out, if you're used to only having three managers, then take out the two extra managers. So you during the upgrade process, you have a higher level of redundancy. Obviously, take a backup. You can also, on this Docker success site that we're staring at, there are also backup information. Mm -hmm. They have a whole backup and restore, as well as on the Docker docs. There's full backup and restore admin details for Swarm. So all of that's now in the docs. It's, it shouldn't be a mystery to most of us. 
to do that. But I find that upgrades are mostly a non-event. I think the biggest one I had was just around when Docker changed the container D underlying communication and it caused uh, some containers to get lost. But that was not really Swarm specific. That was actually across all Docker upgrades. And it, and it, it was a good example of why it's maybe better to just replace nodes, not upgrade nodes, and just simply, you know, do an apt-get update on a brand new server, put the latest version of Docker, and then add that to a swarm as a node instead of upgrading each node in place, just swap out the nodes. That'll yeah. also force you to get better at your immutable infrastructure, right? Because if you can't keep those nodes around for years and you have to replace them, it'll force you to have better tooling. So yeah. pro tip. The, re the replacing nodes, though, you have to be careful when you mix the versions. That's where I found the challenge. And so you actually had to upgrade all the machines in place and then you could swap nodes out with that upgrade version. Including the not the worker nodes? The worker nodes you're okay with. Yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry. Manager. I'm talking yeah, about worker managers. nodes. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. a lot of times what happens is the apps, like the app containers might get in trouble, just depending on how. And, and this is usually only because people, you know, wait years to upgrade and then they have a huge jump. And, you know, Docker may not have tested updating 1703 to 1903, right? So I always try to get people to upgrade usually one version or maybe two versions at max in the gap. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, yeah, it's a great point. Be very careful on your managers. That's an excellent topic. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I do see a couple questions in there. One, Archimedes was asking, you know, managing the Terraform swarms and a nice way to do upgrades. I am doing it automatically, but if you talk about the Terraform side and you want to swap out nodes, that becomes a challenge because as soon as you say, here's my new node type, it just destroys all the old and replaces with all the new. So you kind of have to make a second type of node in there and start doing some manual scaling in there, you know, ramp up more instances of the new node type and then start ramping down your old instances one at a time and run your playlist that way. Yeah. I think that UCP backup is enterprise only, not available in community edition. Well, yes, Correct. of course. I mean, you, yeah, UCP, there's a lot more to back up to with Docker Enterprise. You've got that UCP database. You've got, you know, more stuff in there than just the, the basic swarm. I mean, basically there's a directory under varlib docker slash swarm. <laughs> And that's really the thing that you're going to back up for Swarm. The rest of it for Docker Enterprise, like DTR, UCP, that they're, they're, they have to have scripts there because you've got way more stuff. Get certificates. You've got you know the the root the root uh, certificate stuff like that you have to deal with. Let's see what else. And whenever you take a node out of a Swarm cluster, whenever you're taking a manager node out, I would say back that varlib Docker Swarm directory up because that's when you can accidentally lose Quorum, and that's when you get in a bad situation. Yeah, the the losing quorum, and if you, there's still a great talk, if you just search Laura, actually it's Laura Frank, because back when she did that, she was Laura Frank, she's mm -hmm. now Laura Taco, but she still has a great DockerCon talk on YouTube, if you just search all the things about orchestration you thought you knew, I think it's what it's called, something like that, and it's on YouTube, and it's DockerCon Laura Frank orchestrate all the things you thought you knew about orchestration that he she actually goes through breaking a swarm looking at the the swarm uh raft database raw like actually looking at what's in it that's not that exciting <laughs> it's basically data and so that if you really want to get in the internals of that and really feel comfortable with what exactly is going on with the swarm uh, you can do that awesome uh, let's see what else we got yeah, uh, scaling up and down in a non-lame fashion. That is true. Uh, I mean, in general, people are going to be scaling up and down nodes. But I find, honestly, in teams, that scaling up physical infrastructure 
in addition to especially scaling down is super hard to get right, especially if you have long-term connections. Like if you're running static websites, all this stuff is easy, but most of us aren't, right? Most of us are trying to run uh, web sockets or long polling, or we have user uploads that might take a while that we don't want to kill in the middle of the upload, or we've got, you know, web front ends that are connected to database backends with long, you know, with connection pooling and stuff like that that we have to worry about. And simply taking down a node to replace it or to even upgrade it is... You know, until you've done it a hundred times, it is a nervous process because you, unless you have the right tooling and unless you're like super practicing good at this, it is nerve wracking to take down a database thinking that it's going to come all back up and everything's fine or that it's going to fail over to the other nodes and that all the client connections from your web apps are going to magically connect to the right database server, even though the one they were talking to just now went down. Like there's so much of that that's not Swarm, Docker, or Kubernetes related. And so I feel like a lot of teams... They're so focused on this infrastructure automation when I don't think automating the infrastructure is going to help them. I think if I just took a node and said, you know, Docker, you know, like stop the systemd service of Docker and it's supposed to properly shut down all the containers based on all the things that are going to happen in a container with the signals in Linux, I have a feeling that most use cases, people would be like, okay, this broke. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you say, it's the scaling down that gets people. Scaling up's easy. Yeah. Add another node to the cluster, and you can start, you know, accepting new connections, sending traffic over there when you're ready to. But scaling down, trying to get the load balancers to stop sending traffic over to the instances before, you know, without cutting off existing running transactions, that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, and you can do that without Swarm. I mean, if you just want to learn how this stuff works in containers, just set up a Docker server and set up multiple copies of your app or whatever. You can use you know, bridge networks without even using Swarm. And you can test a lot of this stuff around proper shutdowns. And of course, you can't really do this. You can't really do rolling update testing, but you can do that on a one node Swarm and you can do that on a one node Kubernetes and doing rolling updates of containers because you're going to be updating these things in real time anyway. That suddenly gets people really complicated. So it's, it's a lot. So we've had a lot of great questions. I think we've covered all the topics. Does if anyone else, I'm going to give you last last second to uh, get any last pro, uh, questions in there. What? Yeah, CR committee is saying doing the doing the drain, and the drain does work, but it's going to go as fast as the containers are ready to drain. And so if the I've seen a lot of applications like you're saying, Brett, that you drain it, you say to stop the container, and it just kills whatever active connections immediately and just exits without doing any kind of graceful shutdown. That's just the way a lot of applications are written, written to handle the signals. And so it requires yeah. work at each at each layer here. There's work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we just had our first... You, 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 you were on the show with me when this happened. We just had our shirt, first uh, super chat from my friend Kevin Griffin, who donated uh, $3. He gave us a, co a coffee for running the show. Thank you, Kevin, so much. That was that has been my very first super chat. So awesome! I will get that check from YouTube at some point in the future, and I will be buying my morning coffee with it. So thank you very much. I, that is very appreciated. It's funny. And it happened on a swarm. It happened on to. the swarm show, not on not on the <laughs> Kubernetes show. And it's it's funny how this is described description. Pear character punching in the air with fist and bump written on his knuckles. <laughs> So if you're if you're not watching and you're listening, the YouTube YouTube has this feature. Once your channel gets big enough, that you can have people pay for fancy giffies in the in the chat. And this is literally that's exact. That's the accurate description. A pair wearing a sweatband. It looks like punching the air with fists and bump written on his knuckles. And it's uh, 
pretty funny. So he did a fist bump. Thanks you so much, Kevin. That's fun. That's great. I've never had one of those, and that's pretty cool that that happened right in the middle of the show. Um, you can get a, a self-isolation coffee with that one. That's right. That's what he said. Self-isolation coffee. Self-isolation coffee. That's hard to say. Um, but thank you, everyone, so, so much for being on the show. Again, we will always take your Swarm questions, even if this is not a Swarm show. We may not always be able to answer them with our current, with our with whoever our, is on our show, but you can reach both of us on Twitter at these Twitter handles if you have more Swarm questions. Of course, if you watch the beginning of the show, you know that Brandon's going to be on Stack Overflow every waking minute, minute of his day, trying to be the number one in the Docker category and and climb, climb that ladder over years and years of effort. So please go thank him for all his work there. Maybe buy him a coffee somehow. If that was even a thing on Stack Overflow, that'd be pretty cool to buy someone a coffee for their great answer. And I'll, oh, I will take virtual plus one internet points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus one internet, plus one on the on any uh, bump up any of his answers, and uh, you know, ask some questions and put some bounty in there. Put some bounty in there from from my friend. Because uh, he works a lot, really hard on that, and uh, he is the champion. So we will be, again, just remember the reminders. Next week on this show, the same day, we will have a, a three-hour DockerCon birthday event. Or you can just go to docker.com slash birthday, and you will be able to see that show there. And we will see you, not next week, but probably the week after here on this show on YouTube Live. So thanks for joining. Thanks, everyone. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.